And greetings to you for this Thursday. Welcome in. It is Sports Talk. Our final show of the work week. Tomorrow we'll have Illinois Volleyball, so we're going to get a lot in here today between now and 6 o'clock. My name is Scott Beatty, and I'm accompanied by Lauren Tate here in the first hour. Next hour, Evan Kahn will have a have a seat as well, and we've got a bunch of guests to bring your way. Coming up, Coach Q, Nick Quartaro, will join us for our Coach Q&A session on Big Ten football, and in particular, Illinois and Iowa this week have some headline games, of course. Illinois playing on Saturday. And later on in this hour, Nancy Thies Marshall, Urbana native, former Olympian, former Illini women's gymnast, and an Illini Hall of Famer. She's back in town for the Women's Sports Summit this weekend, so we'll be glad to welcome her into studio in the second hour, Brian Barnhart's Illini Notebook. And Evan and I will also play two out of three with you. Our sensational radio game show. A chance for you to win with, the, uh, with some gift certificates to the Esquire. And I've got tailgate passes as well to give away. So it's a bang-bang show if I do say so myself, <laughs> Mr. Tate. I'm proud of it. Okay. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, up or down today? Cardinals are down. Oh, Cardinals are really, really down. Uh, they given up given up eleven runs so far, and the game isn't over. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, they've scored two so runs in the bottom of the ninth, for what it's worth, and now yeah. it's just a five-run deficit. And yeah. yesterday they erased a four-run deficit yeah, to win know, the ball game Dickerson, in the ninth inning. Dickerson drove in two runs. He continues to hit the ball, unlike some other members like O'Neill and, and and you know Garman. I mean, they've got some guys that aren't hitting. That are striking out a lot. Well, don't. But, uh, but don't. that was a heck of a rally last night. Unbelievable. 800 and what? 17 games that uh, that teams had not been able to overcome four, four runs or more in the ninth inning this season. 817, and they became the first one. It is very unlikely it, in most levels of sports. Yeah. So, uh, most level of baseball, excuse me. Two things in that rally that, that happened. Number one, there always has to be a couple of walks which are yes. just killers for the team that loses. And the other thing is, most of those hits, three out of four, were to the opposite field, which means the batters are waiting and trying to see the ball and not hit home runs. They're trying to play baseball, in other trying words. Trying to play baseball. And the last hit was dead left field by a left-handed hitter, Edmund. Well, and today, Yadier Molina's hit a couple of home runs. Yeah, that's very odd, isn't it? <laughs> what, do you have three home runs for the year? Now, I, don't, I don't know, but one of them was very... Very, very Yachty-like. Yeah, down the line. A line drive that just snuck out at whatever the pole is, 325 mm -hmm. that or something. had to be the shortest home run that you could hit in St. Louis. You know, sometimes they show those the maps. Is it a home? Yeah. Where is it a home run? Which park is it a home run in? Yeah. Uh, the one Yelich hit the other day, 499 feet. That'd be a home run anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Yachty, Except of course, it was just a line grounds. drive. Not the polo grounds. You, ever, you remember, you don't know about the polo grounds? I know it was that, that center field that went forever. Very yeah. narrow yeah. down the lines, and oh, then it went. Yeah, Dusty Rose made a, made a career out of hit, hitting pop flies down the right field line, but it went straight out. And I don't, it was over 500 feet to so, center. So, uh, you know, that's, that's baseball. Yesterday you, you back, and yeah. today you give up 11 runs to the Washington yeah. Nationals. Yeah. You know, what's happening is, first of all, I, the last time I looked, and I, I could look it up, the last time I looked, they'd given up 16 hits 
at which point they only had, uh, Washington only had about eight runs. So 16 hits. I wonder how many they got now. I'll look it up for you. Oh, okay. 18 hits. Now, that's too many for, for a pitching staff to give up. But you know what's happening? They're going with, they're going with, uh, with mid-game changes, and they had to because Wainwright was very ineffective today. But they're, going, they're not going with their best pitchers in, in the middle innings, naturally, and those guys aren't pitching very well. We also today learned the Big Ten basketball schedule for Illinois, the dates. We already knew opponents, but how it's spread out. And so now the full basketball schedule is out for both the men and the women. Times for most every game to be determined yet. Uh, but you'll like this in that uh, it's, a, it's a throwback in some ways. There are... Uh, I counted seven home ga- seven games on a Saturday. Maybe it's six. One, two, three, four, five, six. But anyway, yeah, mm-hmm. that that'll be nice for uh, three in the Big Ten and mm-hmm. one Friday. Mm-hmm. And Illinois starts on the road. Uh, this is Big Ten, mind you. First true road game of the year, Friday, December second at Maryland. They will have had a couple of games away from the State Farm Center, but this will be the first true road game, Friday, December 2nd at Maryland, and then Tuesday, December 6th, they'll be in New York City for that game against Texas. Right, right. But then uh, their next true road game, because you've got bragging rights, which is neutral, but true road game will be January 4th at Northwestern. A lot of people are looking at this as a, quote, favorable schedule for Illinois. Well, but yeah, it's all based on history. That's right. And I don't think we really know who's going to really be good this year other than we know Indiana's going to be good. Beyond that, everybody, everybody's been picked for second, including Illinois. But uh, what was the biggest game last year? Iowa at home? Had to be, right? The I final sp- game to, to beat Iowa the way they did and yeah. tie for the Big Ten championship. Yeah. Illinois does not play Iowa at home this year. Nope. In fact, they finish Nor on— Purdue. They finish on the road at Purdue. That mm-hmm. is the final regular season game. And that's the only game. time they play them. Can you imagine you play 19 Big Ten games and the 20th game is at Purdue and you haven't played them all year? I don't. I I, I guess there's a. You have to maybe rotate things around. But it seems well. to me you would want Illinois and Purdue to play twice every year. You'd want Illinois and Indiana and Iowa always play twice. To yes. always play twice, and they're not going to. <laughs> no. Uh, but we already knew the opponents and how that broke down. But anyway, now you we, know the whole stuff. We only get stuff. Michigan and Michigan State once, and we get them at home. Yeah. That's good. I, I think mean, I, that's why we're, I suppose, that's one of the reasons why we're considered to have a, a favorable schedule because you get two of the top four teams, Michigan State and Michigan. I think they're two of the top four, don't you? Four, mm-hmm. Two of the top four or five, and you, you get them at home only. Uh, so I think I tweeted that there were seven Saturday games, and I, my mistake, there's six Saturday games uh, but the other thing about this schedule, it seems the most spaced out that I we've seen in a while. Really? There's only two instances where Illinois will play three games within the span of seven days. Okay. Most of the time they're going to play two games within the span of seven days, and that includes the uh, Thanksgiving tournament, or not Thanksgiving, the weekend before in, in Vegas, and then there's one other set where they'll play three games in the span of seven days. Otherwise, it's basically two games a week. If you look at it on a calendar, well, if you're very just, rhythmic. If you're just thinking home games, after those early two, the first two games in the Big Ten are Saturday, and the next one's Friday. Then after that, they are these are home games in the Big Ten: Thursday, Tuesday, 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 Saturday, 
Thursday, Thursday. So there's going to be a lot of Tuesday and Thursday games and only one Saturday game after the 24th of January. Four out of the last six games, though, for Illinois are on the road. All right, uh, football is on our mind. Coach Q is joining us next for our Q&A session with him. We're off and running on Sports Talk. Yeah, with Friday night open, we can do high school football again, so that'll be on our sister station. Welcome in to Sports Talk again. Scott and Lauren with you as we are doing here on most every Thursday. Coach Q and A, Nick Quartaro is former Big Ten coach. He's uh, made several stops in the coaching, uh, in the college coaching ranks, and also a former Big Ten kicker as well. And you read him in the News Gazette. Coach Q, great to have you again. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I hope it's as nice and sunny where you are as it is here today. Um, well, we Lauren and I have been talking this week, and I think you would. Uh, I don't know how you look at it as a coach, as a fan. Boy, uh, I don't know that there's a ton of compelling games out of uh, outside of Illinois against Virginia as a Power Five matchup, and of course the Cyhawk matchup between Iowa and 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 Iowa State. Do you uh, do you look at it the same way? Well, as far as things involving Big Ten teams and within the Midwest region, I, I would agree. The only one I might toss in there just for fun would be uh, Duke at Northwestern. You can't beat a good academic uh, <laughs> university matchup and haven't been at Northwestern for five years way back in the dark ages. I still kind of have a place in my heart for that game. Sure. Well, whoever gets the most A's wins the game, right? <laughs> that, whatever. <laughs> if, you can, if you can get both coaches to agree to that, uh, you're a better man than I, Lauren. I thought it was whoever has the highest tuition wins, wins the game. Well, but, yeah. That's a, yeah, that's another story. Um, well, why don't we start uh, with Illinois and Indiana, and just uh, as you look back uh, against that, Indi- I'm sorry, Illinois and Virginia coming up, what's the takeaway for Illinois coming out of that close loss against these Cavaliers? Well, I think Brett says it best, Coach Bieleman, that you got to find ways to you know stop losing before you learn how to win. And there were a lot of examples of that. And I think really that serves as the catalyst. That's the uh, emotional edge that I give the Illini going into this game against Virginia because they certainly had opportunities, didn't capitalize, and they've all been rehashed since last you know, Friday night. So uh, I think it's actually going to play to Illinois' favor that they get a chance to correct some of those things and the kids taking the field, getting into meeting rooms, studying, being with their coaches, probably even up their level of focus, even though this is a non-conference game, but coming off that first Big Ten loss and the opportunity they had, I really think serves them well as they go into this game. I'm curious your thoughts on what is perceived to be an inexperienced and young offensive line, but good skill position players around it for Virginia. How much does that um, hinder Virginia or can they be effective anyway if they can get the ball out of out of their quarterback's hands quick enough yeah well you bring up a real good point Scott and and yes for the fans that aren't following it maybe as closely as we do they literally have five new starters on the O-line we all know that position more than any other one on the football team has to have cohesiveness 
communication, the ability to work together as a unit, game after game after game. They have five new guys. And uh, the strange thing, too, is that the five they lost, and this is a shame to me as a coach, they all left through the transfer portal. It's like, where'd you guys go? Where is everybody? So all of a sudden, they've got uh, a couple of freshmen playing. They've got some young guys that were in the program that were inexperienced. And I think they've got one transfer in there. But, you know, their first game out of the box against Virginia didn't run it terribly well uh, as a unit, although the quarterback Armstrong is a dual threat guy and he rambled around. He actually had 100 yards. And uh, Paris Jones, who's a really impressive kid to me, a running back, uh, super quick feed, explosive. They get him the ball out of the backfield. Uh, he's a former walk-on, interestingly enough, had 104 yards. So they've got, as you said, skilled guys. And that wide receiver core, I think, will match anything that the Illini see in the Big Ten as far as a group of receivers. They can stretch the field vertically. They have good size, excellent ball skills, and extremely productive uh, for fans to watch. And for a tough matchup, the Illini have to watch number three, Wicks, averaged 21 yards a catch last year. And, uh, you know, uh, Coach uh, Tony Elliott said he's as good as whatever he coached at Clemson for 11 years. So that that's saying a lot. And then they also bring back a receiver who missed the game last year, actually missed all last season, but the Illini did not see him last year. Number one, Davis, he's a big kid, 6'7", 225 pounds, injured last year but averaged 25 yards a catch in 2020. So those are our tough guys to match up with. But, again, can, can uh, Virginia run the ball at all against a stout, Illini front. We're talking with Coach Q from uh, well from from the News Gazette pages now and here on our program, former college football coach Nick Cortero. Well, uh, Nick, I'm going to swing you over real quick. Uh, we'll come back to Illinois, I'm sure, but let's uh, sure. let's talk about Iowa, Iowa State a little bit because you know uh, Iowa's offense is kind of a national punchline for this week without have winning a game without scoring a touchdown, and, getting, and I just wonder where do you. And I see they are a favorite over Iowa State. What do you think? Lauren, you've been in this longer than anybody, right? And you've Probably. Seen more, more, no, more Big Ten games than anybody. And I know you've never seen anything like that last week, and of course neither have I. Uh, I'm going to shoot straight down the middle, even though I do pay my Iowa Hawkeye Letterman dues every year. But I'm going to be honest <laughs> in that, you know, that was really, really probably the most disappointing offensive show I've seen in, in my time. Um, the fact that they, okay, if you can't throw it because you only have two scholarship receivers able to play, guys went through the portal, projected starters are out at receiver. Okay, I get that. But the inability for an Iowa offensive line, a place that prides himself year after year after year, ever since Kirk Ferentz was the old line coach for Hayden Fry. They could run the ball to some degree, but not last week. So when you look at, you know, 57 yards rushing and 10 punts uh, for an Iowa offense, I was just shocked. So I don't know where they go from here. And talking to some coaching friends of mine and others that know the Iowa program really well, it's like, how do you get it fixed in just four or five days? 
they're not going to put in a new offense. So whatever you have, you've got to do better. And I'm sure their meetings, their practices, all that were incredibly intense with the idea of knowing that this game means so much, but also they've got to shake that smell that they have coming off of that last game. The only good fortune is they got a W out of it. Well, but can, I, I really find that uh, – yeah, go ahead, Lawrence. Well, I was just going to ask you, if, can the head coach change offensive coordinators when the offensive coordinator is his son? <laughs> <laughs> Well, to this point, the answer is no. <laughs> I don't know where it, where it goes from here. And again, haven't been in this business uh, or was in this business for 39 years. I, I don't like talking about, you know, coaches' jobs and so forth. I just know that Iowa will put again, one of the most stout defenses in the country on the field. Uh, Iowa State lost uh, Brock Purdy, the outstanding quarterback. Of course, uh, second-round draft pick Brees Hall, who's playing with the Jets, the tight end Charlie Kohler and Chase Allen. A lot of weapons on offense are gone, uh, and they'll still be okay, but I really see the Iowa defense and playing at home should be out there able to keep the Cyclones in check. It's really a question of can Iowa put some points on the board. Coach Q with us. Back to Illinois uh, from a coaching perspective. The adage that gets thrown around is the best improvement happens from week one to week two. But Illinois went from a I'm I'm, I'm just going to say an inferior uh, opponent in terms of ability in Wyoming this year to a Big Ten one, and now another power. Can can you make a similar leap between two and three? Well, I think you can because the point you just made is is a very strong and valid one. You know, so many of, actually every game is about matchups, okay? We didn't know a lot about Wyoming. We knew that there were uh, just a solid last year, solid uh, team out of the Mountain West, but certainly not a power. And they lost a lot of kids through injuries and the portal and everything else. So they came in extremely young. Okay, that being said, Illinois did a good job and did what they had to do. Last week, Again, I wrote my column about the unknowns in college football. The unknown about Indiana was what were they going to do with Tom Allen running the defense? What were they going to do with a couple of these guys they picked up as transfers? And as it turned out, they had a couple of really, really productive receivers that showed up on the field that were new to the Indiana offense. And the fact that the Missouri transfer quarterback probably – not was super, but was good enough to pose a threat given what they were doing uh, late in the game with the uh, final drive in two-minute drill. So, you know, you don't know a lot early on, but you learn so much about your team from week to week, and this will play out, I really believe, and I put this in a column also, by the end of September, you kind of are who you are, and people will have a much better handle on reality as to how good they are in certain positions, where their shortcomings are, where they need to try to hide or, you know, kind of fool people a little bit at times with some smoke and mirrors based on your opponent each week. But right now we're still a little bit in that learning process. So, yeah, you can still improve a lot from week two to three. And in Illinois' case, that's the advantage. This is their third game. Virginia, on the other hand, new head coach, new coordinators, new systems, et cetera super skilled talent on offense, not very good on defense. Nick, before we let you go, uh, I, I know you know uh, our our boss here, 
Paul Barrett, mm-hmm. and he's an alum of Arkansas okay. State. And I'm just curious if you're going to pick Arkansas State or Ohio State for this Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I have not even looked. I don't even know. Do they put a line out on that? 44. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know what? Go ahead and take uh, Ark State in the 44. How about that? We'll put a couple bucks down. <laughs> okay. Very good. You know there are four games this week that there's no line on. And then yeah. there is a line on the Hawaii-Michigan game. Guess what it is? <laughs> 50. It's got to be a round 50. 50. Okay. I I knew it had to be near there. I I think maybe in my time, not that I watch that a lot, but you hear it because it makes news maybe, is I've heard maybe a 50 or 51 one time. Oftentimes it's, you know, 49, 48 in a super blowout, but that's just crazy. Uh, The other thing I will toss out, but maybe as we wrap up here, as far as the Big Ten West, and I don't think it'll be a, ter- a terribly great challenge, but at least Wisconsin's playing a legitimate Power Five team. Uh, Washington State comes mm-hmm. in from uh, the Great Northwest to uh, Camp Randall, and it'll be interesting to see how Wisconsin looks against again a little better quality opponent. So when you're talking, you know, the people that people uh, favored maybe to have a shot at winning the Big Ten West. Let's see how Wisconsin looks. Uh, Minnesota's playing Western Illinois, and that's not going to help anybody. But this Iowa-Iowa State game, I think, will have a big tell on what happens later this season as well. Coach, always good to have you with us. We'll do it again next week. Very good. Thanks, guys. I enjoy it. Thank you. you. Yep, bye-bye. All right, Coach Nick Quartaro, former uh, assistant coach through all kinds of ranks and former Iowa player as well, and uh, writes in the News Gazette. Nancy Thies-Marshall is coming up here in just a moment. We'll catch up with her, but I want to uh, remind you that if you need a new unit in your home for air conditioning, because we still do have some heat here, if you need a new unit, we can get you, you can get the best from CU Trade Services because they are a dealer in train products. Ranked number one in Bob Vila's best air conditioner brands in 2022. That's what CU Trade Services services and deals in and uh, but if you don't have that brand in your home they can still come take care of any of your heating and cooling needs you can get on their maintenance plan so you can get uh, avoid that prevent uh, avoid the emergency stuff and uh, get the preventative stuff done and maybe think about that furnace right now as we are in september and the cool temperatures are going to come so check them out see you trade services proud to be winners as well in the people's choice awards in several categories check them out all right lauren and i are back with nancy thies marshall right after this we're back on sports talk this weekend illinois is hosting the women's sport summit women's sports summit in conjunction with title IX's 50th anniversary Urbana native, former Olympian, former uh, Illinois women's gymnast, and Hall of Famer in the Illini. Hall of Fame's inaugural class is Nancy Thies Marshall. She is here in studio, and we're so glad. Great to see you. Thank you, Scott. It's so good to be here. The last time I was on WDWS, they were... A few miles that way. Yeah, right there at that. Well, not that, not, not miles. You oh, can oh, see the tower. Okay. See that tower? That's, that's where we were. That's so. where you were. That's right. <laughs> on Neal Street. Yep. So you're still in Oregon, right? I am. But when you come here, you're coming home. Yes. Because you grew up here. Yes. So it's great to yes. see you. This is this is home. Yeah. And my, I have two brothers and a sister that still live here and their families. And my mom still lives here. So it's always fun to come. 
Well, it, it, it's, it's, it's great to have you. You've been featured this summer. You were featured on the Alina website, um, kind of a talking. And I, I have the privilege of knowing your family a bit, and so does Lauren. And I, it's so neat to hear how you don't look at a lost childhood because <laughs> you were this world-class gymnast. Yeah. And we've all yeah, known. Yeah, did it start by tumbling? Or no, that? yeah. It started by going through the living room window. Oh, dear. <laughs> I was flipping. I just want, I loved flipping. And, and I, I you know, I, I know, uh, obviously, there's a men's gymnics, gymnastics program. There's something because now I have a little girl. And I don't know. It's not like we said like gymnastics. It's just. They're drawn to it for right. some reason. Not everybody. Right. I'm yeah. speaking generally, of course. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I, from as young as I can remember, I loved swinging on the, on the jungle gym out on the playground at Yankee Ridge School. And um, I just loved flipping upside down and dancing. So, yeah, if it's in your, your DNA, you just kind of do it. 1972 Olympics. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the list of Illinois athletes that went to an Olympics, it's not actually that long. W- female mm-hmm. athletes, not that long. You're in a very exclusive club there. Yeah. And, um, I mean, did you realize the, the magnitude? There's, uh, in 1972, that was exposure, but it's not what Simone Biles yeah. gets now, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, n- no, it was, I mean, I was fortunate because I trained at the best club in the country, McKinley YMCA here in town. Really? Yeah, and we had Linda Matheny, was on the 64 Olympic team, and then Linda Matheny, uh, Diane Bolin, and um, uh, Colleen Mulvihill were on the 68 Olympic team. So in my gym, I had this picture of, I was rubbing shoulders with people that actually had gone to the Olympics. And so it wasn't as much of a far-fetched idea as it might have been for others. I remember Dick Mulvihill, co- our coach, sitting me down at 11 years old. In the Our gym was in the basement of Lincoln Square at that point. And uh, I know right where it was. I can take you to it, where he <laughs> sat me on a chair and he said, um, I think you could go to the Olympics in four years if you, if you really work hard. Um, and when you have that kind of, um, you know, that kind of, uh, mentality, and he would always talk to us about when we get to Munich or when you're performing, and there was this this language of success that came from that experience. And so, um, yeah, for me, um, I just felt very fortunate to be a part of a great program. And he 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 always took a lot of I don't know if it was pride in describing me as his one gymnast that walked in the gym with two left feet, who he took to the Olympics. And um, so I'm very grateful that even though I didn't quite have all the natural ability. Was uh, was sports just beginning at the U- uh, University of Illinois in terms of women? Yeah, in fact, in fact, um, 72 Title been 50, Nine is when, yeah. t- when, when 72, uh, or I mean, 72 is when Title Nine passed. And so I was the second class of female athletes at the U of I. Okay. Um, they, the first class that was the beginning of, you know, in some ways I tried to just, Title IX was a, a work in progress. Sure, you, it, you didn't have any schedule, did you? No, uh, we did. In 75, there was a schedule. 75, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I, that, I graduated, I made the Olympic team my ninth grade year at Urbana, I was at Urbana Junior High School. Wow. And then was on the national team for, till I graduated from Urbana, and then um, I had a choice because that I graduated in 75, and I had a choice to just if I wanted to train without going to college for a year for the 76 Olympics or 
decide that that part of my my life was was over and um, go to college. And the cool thing for me, which Diane and Linda and uh, Colleen didn't really have a choice because there was there they were here. They're all graduates of the U of I, but they didn't have a chance to compete for the U of I. For me, um, there. Their first year, there was a team that competed in 74, 75, and I was able to go watch them, and I realized I could be on the ground level of the beginning of something for the University of Illinois. And having grown up in South Urbana, my mm-hmm. home address is on Boudreaux Street, and I would walk down <laughs> Lou George, Boudreaux Lou Street, Boudreaux, and I would walk down George Huff to get to Urbana or to get to. Uh, Yankee like, Ridge School and so block from Grange Street, Grange right? Pond. All of those names were <laughs> how I walked to grade school. So I, to me, I thought, wow, I could I could experience something that my peers. Uh, I was the only Olympian um, who was a, who competed then for a couple of years um, in college, and of course it's grown since then. But sure. at the time, it wasn't wasn't much. So here we are 50 years later, and you're going to participate in this summit this weekend. What do you hope um, mm. you, you get out of it, and what do you <laughs> hope participants will get out of it? Well, I think certainly a sense of history at the University of Illinois. I mean, all of the, all of the speakers, Sheila Johnson is the keynote speaker tomorrow at lunch, and um, she has some, an amazing resume. And um, those Taylor Onion, Taylor Rooks, uh, yeah, John Taylor Comstock. Onion is a former uh, volleyball player, and Taylor Rooks is a media superstar. Exactly. And um, Gia Lewis Smallwood and Janet Rayfield and me. I feel a little Forrest Gumpish because <laughs> these guys are all really accomplished, and I'm I'm just here to represent the beginning years of, of sports, women's sports. At, at you're just an Olympian well, <laughs> and a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you're unaccomplished. What, what have you done athletically since that time? Oh, oh, Lauren. Golf, tennis, yeah, put anything? Me in a, um Running and walking, and I'm really my gymnastics um, probably wasn't great for a body that to you know I have aches and pains and <laughs> and things like that. But I have been involved in gymnastics in other ways, not coaching, but in other ways. Yeah, I know you were on television for mm-hmm. for a while. Are you still doing any commentating? No, I um, did that for seven years. In fact, I was I competed for the U of I for two years, and then at the AIAW championships, which was the precursor to NCAA for women. At those championships my sophomore year, I um, was warming up before the meet, and I tore all the ligaments in my ankle. I was going to ask you, you have any bad falls, yeah. and that was that the yeah. worst? Yeah, and I still, I mean, I can twist it, and it'll, it'll really, um, it, it makes it difficult to walk. But anyway, I um, uh, was rehabbing from that, and NBC Sports had gotten the rights to the Olympics in Moscow in 1980. And they had not covered Olympic sports, that network, even though now we think of it, it's, it is the, the Olympic network. But back and then, you were available. They, they, people asked around, and my name was suggested, and they came and asked me if I would be willing to consider doing it. And I did a couple of events for them, and they then said, put me on contract. They said, we want you. We want you to, um, we want you to cover the Olympics in 80. We want you to build our you know, our Olympic coverage up until then. And so I stayed on contract with them until 84. And um, was that exclusively for gymnastics or for did gymnastics, you work in other? And then I and then the the idea was after the 80 Olympics um, that I would 
expand my my work and I actually continued at the U of I even though I stopped competing I was a volunteer coach for the team in uh, 70 it would have been 78 79 until I graduated and then I also the U of I um, was there was a program I don't know if they still have it but it's called um, uh, individual plan of study through the liberal arts uh, pro, uh, department and um, I was able to get a degree where you can kind of write your own major and because I was in journalism they didn't have sports journalism at the time mm. so I put a major together and I just used that as I went off I'd come to class and then I'd leave and go to Romania and I'd come back <laughs> and I'd do it instead of covering a Urbana City Council meeting I would write a report on Nadia Comaneci and life in Romania. So it was a great kind of blend and a way to get me um, trained. And then um, we ended up not going to Moscow because there was a boycott of the 80 mm -hmm. Olympics. Um, Craig I, Virgin got caught in that. Yeah, yep, yep. And I um, it got married in 1981, and my husband's from the Northwest, and so we ended up settling out there and continued doing television and, and but really moved into more – Nonprofit work and um, people and culture development, and that's kind of been my life since then. It's and three children and now four grandchildren. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> yeah. on that, Nancy Thies Marshall, with us for just a, a few more moments. Um, so the, the summit is tomorrow, and you, you said you want a sense of history, and oh, I think yeah. you hear a lot a lot of um, women's sports is you know probably a, a, the furthest it's ever been in mm -hmm. terms of you know there's fights for equality and resourcing and coverage. Uh, and I, I kind of hear a continual theme of much better, but we're not done yet kind of yeah. thing. Do you sense that too? Yeah, I was trying to think about themes that as because I knew I was coming and people would be asking me, you know, what's what, what are some themes of your experience? And one of them is, even back then, this this sense of we're there, but not yet. Kind of this paradox of opportunity, but challenge. And the women athletes here back then, I mean, to be totally transparent, there was a still an adversarial relationship with administration. Well, the, the women have taken over softball. There's no more men's softball. <laughs> and the women have taken over gymnastics yeah. to a great extent. There are only 13 men's team left in the NCAA. Yes, yes I so, know. So, you know, yeah. that, that is the one disappointment that I have about it because, you know, we had a great coach here in Justin Spring, and mm -hmm. he did, he left to take mm -hmm. an assistance job with women, was yeah. it? Yeah. Was it Georgia, Scott? I'm uh, uh, Alabama. 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 Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. I, but I, I just think that yeah. uh, that's a great indication of what has happened. Yeah. And the women are terrific at it. Yeah. And they get a lot of, uh, at Olympic time, they get an awful lot of play. Well, they've, they've certainly come a long way from back mm -hmm. in the yeah. 70s. It's interesting you said it, was, it, it, you know, it wasn't a light switch. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a yesterday. It, there was right. no access yeah. and no opportunity. Yeah. And today, everyone's yeah. just happy about exactly. it. Exactly. No, we were, I, I was told as I graduated from Urbana that I had to prove myself as a freshman and I graduated with a fairly high grade point average and I had been on an Olympic team and I was still told I had to prove myself before I would receive a scholarship and the scholarship was not a full ride. It was only tuition. So that's the, the equity issue between men and women back then. And that's, that's what led to a lawsuit from the, the athletes um, Nessa Calabrese, um, mm -hmm. but it, had it not been that, um, and I, uh, in my own, in the gym, we had broken set of bars and we kept asking and asking and asking for somebody to come and either fix the bars or, or give us a new set because it was not safe. And it wasn't until 
uh, somebody did an interview with me at the News Gazette where I just mentioned that the bars were unsafe. And um, when we finally, because it was public then, got some traction on that. Yeah. So that's where I, I refer to this sort of, it, you know, like we were there but not yet, and um, we still had a long way to go. And I do wish um, maybe we could have figured out how to communicate better as athletes and administrators because I think if we had, we probably would have gone a lot farther faster. Whole different world now yep. in terms of um, – those Absolutely. kinds of things, you know, I mean, there, there are things, if, what's come about in the last two years, let alone in the last yeah. 50 uh, for, for, for college athletes is, is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And, well, I mean, there's also opportunities for Olympic athletes that weren't available oh, in 1972. Absolutely. So. In fact, if you ask them, Olympians will say that their, their end goal is to go to college. It's like the Olympics is a great thing, and they want to go to the Olympics, but um, the opportunity to compete on a team. In fact, I met with the women's team today, and we just talked about what a joy that you, what a privilege that you guys get to use your really hard training time when it's really a one-person deal, and you get to join a team, and that's a whole other wonderful set of experiences. Nancy Thies Marshall, uh, we're running short on time. But uh, you have a busy weekend as well. You going to the football game too? Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Stop Don't by. <laughs> stop by and wave at the pregame show yeah. if you're yep. in Grange Grove, and uh, it's really great to see you. All the best to you and your your extended family. Thank you very much. Scott. Welcome back. Welcome Good to home. Be here. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. We're back to wrap the first hour of sports talk right after this. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS. All right, Lauren, that's going to do it for this hour, and you are back on Saturday morning, but just for an hour, so everybody make sure you yep. tune nine in from to 9 to 10. Taylor Rooks will be there. Taylor with Rooks you. is going to be on at 9.45, and we've got some Virginia talk uh, earlier in the or earlier in the show, and Steve and I'll try to dope out the Illini-Virginia game. All right, I'll see you for pregame then okay. in Grange Grove. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Nancy Thies-Marshall. Thank you, Nick Quartaro, and we will come back hour number two in just a moment after the news. Brian Barnhart will join us.